You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 70. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And I'm Commander Spock. Was he a commander or a captain? He was a commander for a while, he then was. he became a captain, right? He was. Then he was, like, captain forever. He was, cap- always- he, was, he was captain when Kirk was an admiral. And that always confused me, because then there's a part of the movies where they're both captain at the same time. Right. And I remember being really young and that messing with me is like, there can't be two of them. <laughs> right before. That's wrong. You're thinking of the Highlander. Well, I, well there's I, that too. I, I based my entire adolescence on the Highlander. Like everything that <laughs> happened. Was like, like, that explains a few things. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the arrest with, with the longsword. <laughs> maybe, but you know. No, so today we are talking about Star Trek Axanar and the legal controversy kind of swirling around it. So this actually goes back uh, about a year, maybe? Late, late, late 2015? Yeah, some some point in there. And so the, the Star Trek fan film, uh, Axanar, went out and they... they successfully and rather impressively crowdfunded over a million dollars to help fund this fan film at which point CBS Paramount stepped in and said no 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 you can't do that Uh, it's infringement of our copyright and has sued the production company who is who is attempting to put this film on yes and we should just do you have do you have the the plot or the would be plot of this fan film on hand? Uh, let me look. I don't off the top I, of my head. Hang on. So I've got the, from from what I remember, this is basically. Okay, I've got their website open. Hang on. A second. Yeah, it's a fan film set in the pre-Kirk Star Trek universe uh, during a a Federation Klingon war, and it's it it centers around. I guess like a their version of a battle of Midway, where they finally like the the Federation's getting their butts kicked, but finally kind of beat the Klingons to a standstill, and it brings back a character named um, Garth, Captain Garth, from the original series, and I can't remember what episode he's in. I actually looked it up earlier today, and in, and this Captain Garth was like one of Kirk's heroes, and in the in the episode. Um, he's like a shapeshifter. He's a cat. He's like a rogue captain who's gone mad. And uh, that—that's basically what they're trying to do here. They're taking these characters and expanding um, their storylines. Yeah, not admittedly, you know, this is a really interesting idea. Okay. I'm always a—I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So, you can know, I just interject? In general, that this I'm is... game for anything Star Trek. But go ahead. Yeah. This is not the first Star Trek fan film that has been made, though, correct? There are a bunch of other ones, apparently. Oh, I mean, a, oh, there yeah. are... There are just, 
just hun- YouTube, I'm sure, I'm sure hundreds of actual fan films. There are several fan film, several uh, Star Trek things of this level mm-hmm. kind of out there. Uh, Star Trek, the, uh, Star Trek Continues, uh, New Voyages. Something called Horizon I, was pretty popular. Horizon was popular. Yeah, th- th- there's a number of basically Star Trek series that are fan films. Yeah. Some they of which often in- used they often used characters from the original from the official Star Trek series, correct? Not only did they uh, use characters, sometimes they got the actors. Yeah, some of the the, the smaller actors, Robert Picardo, uh, specifically Axanar has J.G. Hertzler involved. It also that was the guy has, who was Martok, right? Martok, he's played a couple of characters on Star Trek, but yeah, the big one is Martok on DS9. Uh, Tony Todd, who played uh, Worf's brother Kern. Uh, Richard Hatch is supposed to be an Axanar who's not a Star Trek actor, but he's a, a big-name actor, comparatively. So, he was in the kind of faux documentary they did leading up to this film. They actually did film something called Prologue to Axanar. Uh, Prelude. And it's, oh, excuse me. Prelude to Axanar. And it's um, basically like a History Channel uh, doc, mini-documentary. And that's where Richard Hatch appears as, yeah. one of the, as, the, as the Klingon Supreme uh, Commander. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, part of me says, I mean, really good on these guys for doing something like this. This is an impressive thing, especially for a fan level endeavor. The fans, sci-fi fans are extraordinarily generous and we live in an era of crowdfunding. I mean, crowdfunding wasn't something that was available even 15, 20 years ago. And suddenly one of the cases in point is the, Con Man or Vimeo series, the the short series that Alan Tudyk from Firefly did, and by appealing to Firefly fans, he ended up with over three million dollars raised through crowdfunding. Now, granted, he was one of the original actors; he was not just a fan trying to create a fan service movie. But they're very generous, and we do live in an age where they can contribute directly to these projects. So that's something to keep in mind with our discussion. Yeah, now obviously the difference there is that Conman is a completely original work that in, in in large part is fictionally based on some of Alan's experiences or experiences of other people Alan has interacted with, but it is com- a completely original work and completely fictional, whereas Axanar obviously is set in the Star Trek universe, and you know is, which is protected by well, probably countless copyrights. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so this is so this is really interesting. Um, the reason why we're bringing this up is because within the last couple of days, CBS and Paramount sent out guidelines to the fans, and I'm trying to find the original uh, actual guidelines they sent out. Um, but if you go on YouTube, there's a guy named Mundane Matt, who uh, I sent you guys the link, who kind of runs through them point by point. And there's some of them where you go, okay, yeah, that's okay. You you can't make money off of this that's that's not cool but then there are certain things that are really kind of strange like what kind of costumes you're allowed to use in your fan film how long it's supposed to be you're allowed to crowdfund it but only up to a certain amount something like uh fifty thousand dollars 
and that's kind of kicked off the other uh, explosion. Oh, did you just send it to me? I did. Yeah, okay. so a lot of it is not that people are angry that they put out guidelines, although some obviously some people are. Oh, here they are. Thank you. It's, it has, I think, more to do with what people are think are referring to it or thinking of them as very draconian, very yes. prohibitive, and specifically targeted to productions like uh, Axanar, really trying to just just kill those kinds of projects. Yeah, and that's and that's really the interesting thing about it is because, so on the legal front, and I, I didn't get a chance to look at the complaint. I think it's. It's listed on the Hollywood, um, on the Hollywood. The other aspect of this, before I forget about the guidelines, was that there was a a a, um, a panel discussion or press conference with J.J. Abrams and uh, the director of the back, new film. Back in May. Yeah, Jason Lynn, I think the guy's name is, or James Lynn, and he was basically saying, "Oh, okay, listen, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna try and push them to not sue you guys." And then everyone's like, oh, great, we're just going to finally just let it go, let, let them actually film the movie, because it hasn't been filmed yet, even. Right. They, they just raised the one-point-something million dollars for it. And then what we've seen lately within the last 10 days of them main, or within the last 10 days, is the guidelines come out and the lawsuit clearly move forward in all the legal channels without any hint that the lawyers are backing off. Right. Which, to be fair, it's not up to J.J. Abrams whether or not Paramount's lawyers pers uh, pursue a copyright infringement. He can try, and it does sound like he's attempting to try for the fans, but it that's a very nice thing on his part. It's not something that he really has all that much control over. No, I, I mean, I think that's... The fans, I think, may have jumped to a, jumped to a little bit of a conclusion there when J.J. said, hey, I wa I'm, I'm going to see what I can do, but I think just assuming, oh, J.J. said it's going to be over probably is a little bit of a stretch for it actually being over. This is this is true, but let me let me play devil's advocate for one second uh, and, and dare to use a sports analogy on a, on a geek podcast. But, but like when when LeBron James got his coach fired, you know, even though he's not the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers, what he says goes and Abrams is and I'm not saying I fully believe this, but I'm I'm just trying to from a fan perspective. Abrams is the executive producer of both Star Trek and Star Wars, and and two of the most successful sci-fi franchises, and for all intents and purposes, brought them back from the dead. And you know, so he he draws a lot of water. So there's a feeling that if Abrams, you know, spent a little bit of his capital at the studio, this would go away. Well, and I'm not disagreeing that J.J. Abrams has that kind of capital but i think you know we're also not talking something small a small studio here or quite honestly a small franchise i mean no, the, no. you know the, the fans keep making a, <clears throat> a big deal that this is star trek's been around for 50 years right mm -hmm. so that means this is a this is a franchise that cbs With and paramount roots. have held or the paramount not mostly but obviously cbs now have held on to for 50 years Right. They have some serious coin invested in this thing. Right. So, uh, 
So, um, do you want to go through the guidelines real quick, or do you want to kind of just move on to the kind of merits of of this copyright thing? Um, I'm interested because... in looking at the guidelines themselves, if only because I watched the same video that you did from Mundane Matt, and I've seen other stuff by Mundane Matt, and it's clear that he has a particularly vested interest in Star Trek. He's clearly a big Trek fan. Yeah. And... Because of that, I think perhaps some of his emotions have blinded his, um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is. Well, um, it's his bias. His, it's his basic yeah, confirmation bias. Is that you can, really yeah, you can see that it's it's kind of there. So many of the things that he thought were draconian, I did not. And there were things that he said, I see where they're coming from, where I thought, eh, they could do to scale back on that a little bit. So, oh, it, so, it isn't that important. Oh, so, I think we can, we can come back to the the, the fan response. Uh, I, I do want to cover the kind of the fair use mm-hmm. uh, part of this. So, the, the fair use comes into into play here because uh, Axonar Productions, who's the company who's trying to make the film, has basically said, "Well, we're not infringing on your copyright because this is fair use," mm-hmm. and and. Just kind of on face value, you say, "Oh, okay, you know, seems like they've got, they've got, you know, they've obviously, obviously, they would have had to do their 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 research and whatnot and figure out what is isn't is not." Uh, I mean, kind of looking at it. I mean, just us looking at it from the surface. And I think you said it before we started recording. From a copyright standpoint, they're kind of screwed. It it appears that way because the, you're right. They are coming down on this. This is fair use. We're allowed to do this. And Paramount is like, no, no, you can't because you're making money off a product that we have a copyright on. And if that's the case, all of us here not being copyright lawyers it and, and basically uh, gauging the temperature from what we read from articles from everyone from The Hollywood Reporter to you know whoever's been cutting and pasting The Hollywood Reporter's work on this has basically been saying, yeah, they're, they're kind of in trouble. They're really, their only hope was... That, that Paramount would let up because their motion to dismiss got rejected by the judge. Yeah. So, so, so a couple, couple things to point out about fair use. One is that fair use is you can't claim you can't claim fair use unless you've already been sued. Mm-hmm. So, like people say, oh well, they can't sue me. You know, it's fair use. Well problem with that is you can't actually you're not actually able to claim fair use until you're sued so just saying oh well i'm using it it's fair use is not is not a a defense against actual litigation Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously in this case that doesn't really matter they've already been sued right uh when it actually comes to the judge judges are required to base their ruling on four factors which are the purpose and character of the use, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substantiability of the portion taken, and the effect upon the potential market. The effect of the use upon the potential market. So, and, and another important thing to keep in mind is that whether or not they make money off of this, whether or not this is a commercial enterprise, is immaterial to the argument. Absolutely. It may be a further... I'm, I'm thinking of the word, the opposite of mitigating. A further 
factor involved in you know if they made if they make a hundred million dollars they're not gonna make hundred million dollars but say they made a hundred million dollars off of copyrighted material then obviously well the the judge will consider that because it's at the judge's discretion it is and from everything i have i have read and been told and again none of us are legal experts um the extent of my legal knowledge on this particular topic is i've i've been to several uh, presentations on uh fair use and copyright protections so you know, and basically every lawyer i've ever heard speak on this has said look it's up to the judge's uh, judge and it's pretty murky as to how they get to apply these. Um, so individual judges do have a lot of leeway. And um, another thing that I have I have heard is that while there are those four tenets that the, the judge is required to take into consideration, they also do consider whether or not you seem to be to have a nefarious purpose for using the licensed uh, product that you if you seem to be doing it in order to sneakily make money um, without paying you know for a license or whatever then they'll also consider that that too even though it's not in the four principles yeah so i mean just kind of like just kind of looking at the principles uh transformative i think an argument might be able to be made for that part that it, that the work is possibly transformative because because they're taking they're taking kind of the concepts and ideas of Star Trek and doing something new and different with it. Right. I think in general that 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 one's kind of probably the easiest for them to grasp at and that tends to be the one like things like reviews and uh or like memes the, the, those kinds of things are what falls into that mm-hmm. where you take something and you add to it and become something something different. Uh, nature of the copyrighted work. That one I'm a little fuzzy on. They're not. They're not strictly. That 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 really has more to do. That really almost feels like more like a plagiarism portion. You know, they're 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 strict. They're pulling specific like specific pieces of copyrighted material, which these guys aren't. Mm-hmm. They're they're it's it's their work is all original, but it's obviously using bits and pieces that have been copyrighted. Uh, the two that I think are really kind of hitting the hitting the problem where I think they're, especially number four is where they're really getting screwed here, but uh, the amount and substantiality of the portion taken. This one, I mean, so if you look at the, the Axonar trailer, and we'll make sure it's in the show notes, right, there's, there are, there are things that, that our Star Trek is known for, right? The look of the ships, the feel, you know, the Klingons have a very distinctive look, right? I mean, they are using the Klingon ships that everyone, everyone knows. The old battle cruisers from the original Star Trek that we see up through, yeah, up through, I think, Voyager even. Yeah, I mean, they're the D6 and D7s that, you know, if you play any of the games, you recognize them. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, those are very, very much identifiable as Star Trek. The saucer and nacelle design, you know, all of the ships that they have. Although I think a couple of them are, a couple of them are are somewhat different than we've seen in the past. But most, but all three of them have that very stereotypical Star Trek look. And you know, 
again, not knowing all of the copyrights that, that Paramount owns for Star Trek, I would have to assume that the design of the ships is one of them. So that's a, that's an interesting question because I, during my research on this, the question of like what exactly is copyrighted. So like, you're right, we're talking. They're using names like you know Archer Arena. They've got it centers around the Klingons. They use this character Garth, who is from the episode "Whom the Gods Destroy." Right. Uh, back in the original series, there was, and I, I just pulled it up while we were talking because it reminded me of this. And uh, there was a recent lawsuit about the Klingon language. Is the language um, copyrighted? I remember. And, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's I, really interesting. And, and I don't. And I don't remember the outcome of the case, but I found the article on Popat. It was an amicus brief from uh, Mark Randaza, and he says in his brief, uh, "quote It is not the case about defendants using specifically specific previously used Star Trek dialogue, such as quote T Earl Grey hot unquote, but rather." about precluding defendants from creating original dialogue that happens to be in the Klingon language. Plaintiffs provide no authority supporting their assertion that Klingon or any other language can be copyrighted. Quote, there is no Klingon word for deference, end quote. And plaintiffs are entitled to none. Uh, and then he cites a legal case. And actually the entire the part of the amicus brief is actually like, written in Klingon, believe it or not. So even if you nice. disagree with him, well, it's, it's well played, wrote, sir. Well played. He wrote some of it in Klingon. So so yeah, this is really interesting because part of their claim was we raised money but we're not making any money on this. This is a pure fan production. Yet even in their production trailers they say we're gonna have professional actors and professional CGI technicians and professional set designers do this. I mean and, I mean you know looking at the trailer, it looks really pretty. Yeah, it looks really good. And I think. Well, I then think here's it, my question: Who is who is not supposed to make money? Are you not supposed to pay the people that are putting you know the other stuff together? Is it just the organizers that are not allowed to make money? That seems odd. And, and again, when you when it comes to legal language, what little I know from sort of messing around with the law students um, when I was in undergrad was what that kind of messing around. Are we talking about here? It was very bland. I had a boyfriend at the time. Um, Wait, that could have been amazing. I know, I know, so many that, things. What, what so you, many things. You say you say bland, and we're going maybe not. <laughs> it, depends, it depends on what Tracy's frame of reference is for bland. That's all, yeah, that's point. that's also true. Three, three dudes and a goat. She's like, that's Thursday. <laughs> you don't even want to know. <laughs> my uh, my safe word is blueberry waffles. You can do whatever you want. Mine is Barbasol. <laughs> Barbasol. Of course it is. So the the important thing with legal language is what is actually stated. If it's important, it's stated. Otherwise, they deliberately, the law is, any legal code is written deliberately vague to leave it up to the judge to set precedents and that kind of thing. And that's that's where things get real murky because the it, it really, it depends on the progression of the courts, whether or not the first precedent is set, what the next judge does, whether they overturn it, that kind of thing. So, who is supposed to make money, or who is not supposed to make money? It, I find that that's kind of a flaw, or perhaps it was intentional to leave that open. Well, but again, whether or not they make money on that is completely immaterial. Mm-hmm. You can violate copyright law without making a dime. You can lose money and, and still violate copyright law. Oh, yeah, just think of uh, Napster. 
that's where you know in the early days of file sharing they were going after them for for you know not paying for it they you know metallica what? stood up there and saying they're stealing our music because we're entitled to being paid and it's just kind of an insult if you're getting paid off my work sure well now, and it's important to note that th what we're talking about or what dude brought up was actually from the list of fan guidelines and not from correct no what i read was uh, uh, uh i just read was an amicus brief for a separate um case that oh was... you were still reading from that i'm so sorry yep. i i thought we had moved on to the to this specific no it was actually we still got one more one more of the factors and this is like i said this is the one i think that that's really damning to the unfortunately to them and that is the effect of the, of the use on the potential market. The keyword there being potential. Now, this is one I want to dive into. Explain that, and then I actually have some fee-fees about it. So, and, and this is, I've, I've kind of got this off of a, a legal blog from a, a, a professor at Stanford. Uh, but basically, this is an, another important fair use factor, is whether your use deprives the copyright owner of income or undermines a new or potential market for that copyrighted work, mm. and that that and that, that's kind of the the fundamental part. So, and, and this is actually where this will transition nicely into talking about kind of the fan reaction. So, I, I think part of CBS and Paramount's argument is, you know, people are going to well, hey, well, hey, people are going to look at these and say, hey, I can watch this for free. I don't need to go see this movie or I don't need to watch this show I like this better I'm going to watch this right and that's that's where the the impact on on their potential market comes from now now, now how you demonstrate the loss of a potential market I I don't know no I don't know either and then there's a there's a part of that where a reasonable person who's sitting here is going we, we didn't know about Star Trek Axanar until they got sued and people made a kerfuffle about it. Now, the average person really isn't going to go, oh, you know what, we should just go start and support these fan films on YouTube when you've got a $150 million budget Paramount blockbuster coming out this summer. How much do you really think they're going to... How much of that market are they going to get you know, lost because... There's fan films on YouTube that they could also see. It's it's a I've, I've it's also just heard the argument. Joe, that's a strange. That's a tough. That's a stretch for me. Yes, although yeah. with as strong a fan base, I hate to say it, but like the average Joe is not the one driving, especially a new Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Axanar is certainly you know the the production that is in in their their bullseye right now in their in their sights right now. But I really feel like. Axanar just happens to be the first one that they're, that they're they're really gunning for. I don't I don't know that they were particularly thrilled with the ongoing Star Trek like web series that people would do, but there was no other Star Trek series on for a lot of those. Right. I, I mean, realistically, that's a lot of these fan series kind of stepped in to fill the void when Enterprise. Well, and went that's off a good. Air. That's right. a good argument that I've actually heard, again, from Mundane Matt. Uh, one of the things mm -hmm. I actually agreed with him on is that it's also free marketing to some extent. Yes. Uh, to those people that C are... Certainly. And keeping, keeping the dream alive, keeping people engaging with the 
um, with the property, that kind of thing. Um, but you are absolutely right, Andrew, when you say the timing of this is bad for the fan film because there's a new movie and a new show coming out. Well, they're I don't looking know that, I don't specifically know that it's, to protect their property. I don't know that it's, it's, it's timing is bad so much. You know, I hate, I hate to say it, but I think... I think they let they let Axanar get a little too big for its for what CBS was comfortable with, but mm-hmm. going back to the 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 other series, you know, if one of the other, let's say uh, Star Trek Horizons had gotten big like this, right when you know when this when the the new series is out, people don't like the new series, and then suddenly there's this, and they're like, well, maybe I like this more, mm-hmm. and I think especially for a show like Star Trek. Yeah, you're going to get some of the average Joes watching it. But the people who are going to keep that show on the air and who are going to really drive its success is the hardcore fan base. And those are the people who are aware of fan films and things like that and those who may go go elsewhere to to watch something. L- let me let me take a crack at that one cuz while it does sound plausible if we are talking about hardcore fans Correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point in the early 2000s, weren't Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise all on at the same time? No. So were there at least there was at least one time where there were two shows going on at the same time. There were uh, there were two times. So the last two seasons of Deep Space Nine over or sorry the last two seasons of Next Gen overlapped with Deep Space Nine, and I think the last three seasons. Of DS9 overlapped with the first three seasons of Voyager, something like that. Okay, so either way, um, the idea is that, at least the, the argument that is being made is that the market isn't big enough for all of us, and that, you know, if, if there's any kind of competition, we're going to lose out, we're going to lose out on money, and it doesn't matter if I can quantify it or not, there's a potential for it, therefore I need to be protected. At least that's the way I'm understanding it. Well, I, I, I think there's there's also a, a level of control, right? Paramount also controlled all three of those series. Right. And right. keep in mind that uh, Next Gen and Next Gen and DS9 were on CBS. Voyager was on Par- was on at the t- what was at the time UPN. Mm-hmm. With, you know, Paramount's own network. Right. So so there's there's I, I don't disagree. You, know, you, you are talking a little bit about market saturation, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that they that they own and control the copyright, I think that they have. It's their call what they feel the market saturation is. Oh no! So uh, uh, again, on a legal ground, I think I think we all agree, and there's not much space for us to go unless you're a lawyer, as to whether or not Axnar has a leg to stand on in the courts. Right. Uh, so I'm kind of moving a little bit beyond that, and I think that's where Tracy was going, was really, is this worth Paramount's effort to attack this, uh, to sue this production company on the eve of their 50th anniversary and their new movie coming out and their new show coming out soon? I think that's the point she was trying to make, and I, and I uh, now just drifting away from the main topic a little bit, I kind of side with the idea that Paramount, while Axanar seemed to be a victim of its own success, because right. we're getting to the point where now the tools for making movies, even good-looking CGI and, and action films and, and 
you know, there's so many actors out there and computer programmers. The tools are becoming so ubiquitous and easy to access and cheap that people are starting to do it. I, I'm always reminded this day and age of a quote from Orson Welles that he said, movies will never truly be an art until the tools to make them are as abundant as paper and pencil. And while we're obviously not there, we're, we're approaching that point. And, and Axnar appears to me to be the vanguard of this. And yeah. all these different companies are trying to figure out how to react to it. And we can contrast it to the way Star Wars and LucasArts and I guess now Disney has been treating their fans with this. If I'm not mistaken, LucasArts has allowed them to use the music. It's like, you want to make a fan film? Just go for it. And they've just kind of let it happen. And that was one of the, you know, as Trace points out, one of the driving things that kept that franchise going, or at least in the um, forefront of the fans' minds. So I've actually looked into that a little bit because that argument has been made a couple times in various things we've looked at. Sure. And, I mean, I th I, certainly Disney and Lucas haven't taken action against some of the longer stuff people have done. They have, however... There, there, there is an official fan film festival for Star Wars, and mm -hmm. they have guidelines. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about being able to use the music, they provide people like a tool pa a toolkit that they can use for these films. So that's what, like the music and stuff is. But I mean, they have guidelines in there too, mm -hmm. and and they're not all in in some regards are not necessarily dissimilar from some of the stuff that CBS put out. You're not allowed to use existing characters. You're not allowed to use uh, celebrity names or voices. They have to be five minutes in length or less. Now, admittedly, this is for submission to a contest, not just something that people are doing on their own. But, you know, there is there is some precedence with this in, the star, in star, star Wars as well. It's just, it's not, it's not targeting a specific a specific uh, fan film or, or group of fan films. Well, that yeah. kind of, that speaks to the next thing that I was going to kind of bring up that Lucasfilms, Disney seems to be making an effort to counteract uh, another potential problem with allowing fans to make films. And that is, could the fan film be confused with being an official film or, or fan or official piece of property and how does that reflect on the brand and when I was a lot younger when I was growing up what I always understood of copyright law there was the rule of thumb that it shouldn't be easy to confuse what you're doing as a fan with the original official property and so with Lucasfilms what that sounds like to me is that they're saying well, just on the off chance that anyone, you know, they understand that whatever the fan makes is going to reflect somewhat on their own property. Let's make sure it's the best reflection possible. And so we're going to actually provide the tools to make that happen. Whereas with Star Trek, it does seem to be a little bit less so. Although there are a couple of things in there that may may speak to that point. Yeah, I mean, lo looking, at, looking at the guidelines, you know, there, there are some real obvious, um, obvious things in there. Obvious, as in terms of what directed towards Axanar? No, well, certainly that. But I was just saying, in general, there are there are some things that are like obvious things that they don't want. They don't want you know 
obvious rules. Uh, number seven uh, must be family friendly and suitable for public presentation. Videos must not include profanity, nudity, obscenity, pornography, depiction of drugs, alcohol, tobacco, or any harmful or illegal activity or any material that is offensive, fraudulent, defamatory, libelous, disparaging, sexually explicit, threatening, hateful, or otherwise, or in any other inappropriate content. Now, so that's th- a hell of a list. First off, that's that's a really yeah. great. So, so here's, of course, I think I have to be the one to bring this up. So, the the issue is they don't. It's a fan film, right? Right. So it needs to say in number two. There's a part where it says the subtitle must be a Star Trek fan production, right? Yes. So here's the issue, uh, in thinking of, of number putting number seven and number two together, um, porn. Now, there are a number of pornographic companies out there that do all sorts of porn versions of all kinds of stuff out right now. There, and it's called, like, one of them is called, like, I'm sure, Star Trek, a triple X parody, right? right. And, it, and, like, I think Brazzers did a multi-part Star Wars parody. And, and like, uh, what's the other one? Like, Digital Playground does all the Marvel. They do, like, the Avengers, and, and they, they, they just slap triple X at the end of it. You know, and say a, a triple X, but they have Mash and the Flintstones. It, it, all of them are there. So here's the, the here's the issue. You could th- again. I'm not going to argue the legal aspect because I again I think Axonar is dead to rights, and and they're only being targeted because they are as successful as they are. That that appears to be the case to me. Certainly. The issue for me, getting away from that, getting a little more you know faux philosophical is. You know, do you really want to do this? You know, right. you can. You are within your rights to set down these guidelines and and help fans out and all that kind of stuff. The 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 pro- and then you know say if you don't violate them, we sue you into a fine powder. The issue again, and it kind of dovetails into that you know the pornography problem is if you go after them, you start you start getting into again these really weird weeds. And if the fans are having fun and they're doing this for the love of Star Trek and there's, yeah, there's some scuzzy guys out there who are not doing it for the love of Star Trek and see if they can capitalize it, you, you're you just leave you're it just alone. making yourself the bad yeah. guy. Yeah, and you're also, you're also commercial, or not commercializing, but you're also advertising all of these other little guys that otherwise wouldn't have much of a share of the market yeah. at all. No one would know about them. And I think I think that's where the argument of why Lucas, even though Lucas has guidelines, has pretty much let them slide, is it's because for the most part, I think in their calculations, this isn't hurting their market share, and it's getting people to dig the franchise and dig the universe, and then in the end, they're more likely to go see Force Awakens or Star Trek Beyond because they're like, oh, we've been mulling around in fan fan fiction central for two two freaking decades or however long it was before the last one came out now Paramount or Disney's putting out a 150 billion a million dollar production and freaking Tom Cruise and all these other and, and Kate Upton are in it let's go run and see it that's, I guess that's kind of where the argument I'm coming from is it, I think it's in Paramount's best interest to let these guys slide well certainly it, this is not good publicity for Paramount at the time at, the, at this particular time where they really could they could use some good publicity not not that paramount's suffering from a glut of bad publicity in other aspects but just you know they've got a new movie they've got a new tv series like this is the time you want good publicity mm-hmm. and and i get what you're saying on that however you know part of me and this some of this is just because 
you know, I have ideas for stories and things like that and things I would love to, to, you know, someday get out there and realize. And, you know, those are my, you know, if we're gonna be honest, those are my intellectual properties. Mm-hmm. I want to have that control over them. Right. Right. I don't want some schmuck out there going around and messing with my, my universe. Sure. So, so this is a really interesting point, and I had alluded to this a few episodes ago and kind of dropped it in front of my friend, you know, the, the idea of, like, what is canon in, in our ideas and stories and universes, what's not, and then the idea of, like, I want to be able to protect this because I want to make money off it, because if you came up with the idea for James Bond and someone, you know, if you, if you were Ian Fleming and you came up with the idea with James Bond, and someone else was like, oh, that's a good idea, and beat you to the punch, uh, you'd be mad. And they were, you'd be really, really mad, and I, I understand that. The, the interesting thing is, on a, like a meta level, do we really want to, do we even want that? If my understanding of copyright is correct, for personal copyright, it is the lifetime of the owner plus something like 75 years. Yes. And then for corporate, it is something like 120. Right, it's long. Something like that. It's long. And we have Mickey Mouse to thank for that because every time these copyright, uh, a copyright of Mickey Mouse is about to come up, all of a sudden the lobbyists pour into Washington and expand or extend the rules of the copyright because they don't want someone doing Mickey Mouse porn. Like, that's really it. They want to be able to sue you if you do that. Right. And I, so I'll, I'll take the, to the kind of controversial position here is um, I, I found a couple videos while we were kind of researching this just because I had encountered this tangentially. And, you know, at least in, you know, my political bi- uh, sphere, the, the arguments about intellectual property are pretty fierce. They're pretty sharply divided. So, so the idea was, you know, do we even, you know, when the Constitution was written, copyright was like 14 years, something like that. Right. Now at this point... You know, there are certain things out there that aren't copywritten. You know, um, jokes. You know, I, I do comedy magic. You know, you, you can you could rip off my act. Um, you've got fashion. If you in the fashion industry, there are. I mean, almost immediately after um, the Oscars come out, you've got the knockoff dresses in Kmart or something like that. It's yep. you want to wear the dress Jennifer Lopez wore. Here's the twenty dollar version. Yeah. Same thing with food. You cannot copyright a meal or a recipe. Or even ideas. Think about football. Uh, you cannot copyright the West Coast offense, for instance. So I, I, I'm kind of wading into kind of the uncharted territory of saying, you know what, maybe we should just let it slide. And we, while on the one hand, we might be sacrificing something, uh, you know, maybe a monetary gain or, or control of our, our art and idea, on the other hand, it could lead to greater artistic explosions and and more innovation in that field. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I just I, I have a hard time with that one, and I'm and I'm trying to kind of put into words here. Well, I'll send you the links of the the panel discussions that I ran across because again, I, I just kind of looked them up real quick. But that was the basic argument that people were having: is you know, where do you I mean, really, do we need it to be like this? Because cause we're, cause th- just think of the headache we were going through that first half hour. You know, we wouldn't be dealing with that if, 
you know, acts of art just would be made if, if copyright weren't the way it is today. No, and, 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 I, and I get that at the same time. And, and, you know, part of it, at this point, we're dealing with a corporation who owns it as opposed to an individual. But, you know, as, as an individual who wants to create things, I want to be able to create things and not have someone... And I'm not even talking about... I'm not even talking about monetary, because I, I, I mean, I, I really like my ideas and everything. They're really cool, but I don't, I don't ever expect that I'm going to be able to monetize them. But I want, I want to control them. It's my, my stories, my thoughts, my processes. And I, I don't want someone else coming in and either doing, you know, changing them, taking them, or taking credit for them. It could come down to the simple idea of the this may not be something that should be solved legally or that's that's not quite right um if you're going to be lenient over the course of you know the first 20 years of a property you should consider taking a similar tack in the future um whereas if if as andrew is very possessive or very uh, protective of his property that he should crack down immediately on potential infringements of that. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that that is the correct tack to take. I'm just saying that that is an, a tack to take. Mm -hmm. um, and this goes back to an article that made the rounds prior to this podcast and will be in the show notes. And that is the idea that the only people in the room when this list was, was created were the attorneys. Well, that, 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 is, that, is a, that is a supposition that someone from the Axonar production company who has worked in, in similar situations made. And, it's and I think whose wife is a lawyer. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he has a very interesting point, and I think it's worth a read, and we'll definitely put it in the, in the show notes. But it is he, he freely admits he was not in the room, and you know, everything he's stating is just supposition. Well, yes, and that's the only way that I present it, just as an additional take to this, that perhaps the more artistic types or the people that well, understood what went into a production just well, simply just didn't say the, the, in it. I mean, he's thinking the PR people didn't. I mean, like, like, like Dude was saying, this is a really bad PR moment for both Star Trek and CBS Paramount. Yeah. You know, this doesn't this doesn't look good when the giant giant corporate overlord is stomping out the little guy. Yeah, it never it never does, mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone's going to disagree in terms of at least the visual that this is not. You know, pe people are going to are going to want to side with Axe and are only if if for no other reason than you know fighting fighting with the little guy, fighting for the little guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm I, on a legal perspective, like I said earlier, we're we're stuck in the position of yeah, Paramount's kind of right. But I, I kind of look at it as the way similar to Tracy is, one, you know, this is a headache Paramount does not need and they, and they don't have to go through because, again, the effect on their market share is probably nominal, even though we can't perfectly quantify it. And two, it just in terms of an artistic freedom position, just let the artists do their thing because really in, in a... In a practical way, even with our copyright laws, once you let the idea out, it's it's out and it goes and it, and it creates its own, it becomes its own thing, it escapes 
the confines of the creator. Uh, you know, a good example, I'll give two good examples real quick. One is like Conan the Barbarian, because uh, I'm reading that a lot lately. If you've got the original Robert E. Howard stuff, but then you've got all these other things that were done by Marvel, Roy Thomas, and a whole bunch of other guys um, at, at Dark Horse that aren't by him. So on the one hand, yeah, but I get it's, Conan, at least, it's at least licensed by the people who own well, I, I'm gonna get to that. by his yes. estate. Right. But nevertheless, you know, to, to your original point of it's not Howard, so it cannot be strictly him. Now, I grant you that it is licensed, but it's the idea of my, I was, uh, specifically talked to the point of this is no, it is outside the creator's control, yet it doesn't really adversely hurt the original property. The second point I want to make is if you really go after anyone who depicts anyone, Batman, Superman, or any Avengers, I mean, we've talked about this before, and there have been rumblings just shutting down Artist Alley as a whole. You know, oh no, yeah, and, and that's that's I, certainly I think we've discussed it. That's certainly a topic for another another podcast in terms of the Artist Alley thing. And 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 going going kind of going back to my point earlier, I mean, you're, you're talking about you know the the stuff that Marvel and whatnot did. They did it. They also did it after he was dead. Mm-hmm. An artist can't. He can't, you know, Howard can't come back from the dead and say, no, I don't like what you're doing. No, sir. That, that, you know, that, but, but, but right, if, if I'm but, living and I'm here, I want to have the recourse to say, no, stop using my shit. No, and I, and I understand that. I understand that. But my point is, was from a fan's perspective, even if Howard were alive or, or Fleming or, um, you know, Roddenberry. Yeah, right. And, and they're out there and someone else is doing their thing at the same time. I can understand the impulse, and again, you'd be legally in the right to stop it. But on the other hand, uh, you know what? It might be more advantageous and better for as a whole, for arts as a whole, to let that stuff just go. But, uh, but I, I want to be able to make that decision myself. That's the point. Well, I understand you want to be able to make this, but the, the difference is um, when... When you bring but, but the, uh, what I'm saying, judges and lawyers What I'm into, saying is the artist should have the ability to, whether or not they're going to pursue someone for that. Well, but we so, do. That's well, no, right. but, that's so part that's, of what, but that's part of what dude's talking about, though, is, 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 the is relaxing that. Whether well, or not I'm they saying, choose to. So, so, I mean, maybe I'm misunderstanding your point. Maybe, uh, you're, maybe you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're arguing them choosing not to the way it sounded at least earlier to me was you were saying that maybe our copyright laws should not well uh, i mean at this point i don't know enough about them but there that those arguments have been made because the idea is that you know you feel as a creator i should be able to have legal recourse have the the civil judicial system whatever it's called jump in there and right. make something stop with with force right and, and that gets into a separate argument so I, I am actually sympathetic to the idea of just relaxing the copyrights um, as they are because I, I do think lifetime of the, of the creator plus 75 years. And that's insane. Well, if that, it, that's it, excessive. That, again, I guess, is my point. And that's, I think that's the common ground between you and Andrew is that the life of the creator, yeah, sure, why not? 75 years after they're dead, who's, who's making money off of that? Right, and, and Their estate? Right, and the other point I had was, let's go back. This this is an archaic, or an arcane example, but there's a a radio podcast called Radio Lab, and they do an excellent episode on Don Quixote, 
and Cervantes was compiling the first volume of Don Quixote. It was released in the 1600s, and it was a huge hit. Immediately, someone was copying it and writing their own Don Quixote stories. And in the second volume of Don Quixote, Cervantes's Don Quixote confronts the fake Don Quixote in the story and beats him up or makes him admit that he sucks and he's not the real Don Quixote. So I, I am, I'm making kind of like two arguments that I'm not committed to either or. On the one hand, I say yes, if, if, in the current legal system, as an artist, I would err on the side of letting, letting art just breathe on its own. And on the other part, I'm saying, you know what? I do think we need to revisit these copyright laws and start breaking them down. I'm not well-read enough on the topic to tell you where that is, but I'm sympathetic to arguments that say, let's start tearing the system down a little bit. Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that the current laws are probably excessive, but I, I think in, uh, what Tracy said, at least the life of the artist, I think, is... But it's also up to the artist to decide whether or not it's a property they want to defend, like Andrew, or if, let's imagine that dude writes an absolutely horrifically chauvinistic... Really? That's the only adjective you have for, for what do, what's going to come out of dude's head? Yeah, keep in mind, chauvinism only... And other things. Keep in mind, chauvinism I, only means that one is better than the other, so I could be chauvinistic about my cups. And that's the story I would write. I would be the I, game of cups. Admittedly, was, admittedly, you have you have very nice cups. <laughs> I'm going to assume that was a euphemism and laugh about it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so dude doesn't care if somebody else borrows his work, and so he's very very lax. I don't think that dude's lax feeling on his property during his lifetime should influence the way that Andrew feels his interactions with fans should go. You see what I'm saying? And, and this actually recently came up with George R. R. Martin as well, in which he has started to disavow a lot of the fan fiction that is available on the internet, uh, based in the world of Ice and Fire. At one time, and of course this series has been around for what, like 20, 24 years, something like that? Maybe longer? In 92, um, 94? I thought it was 96, yeah, but I could be wrong. It, it was... Let's just agree that it was a long time ago. And time so he was much more relaxed. Dr. Internet. <laughs> I can't find my mouse it, cursor. But he used to be way, way, way more relaxed about fan fiction. And now that, you know, we've got the HBOC. And I think part of it is because he's kind of afraid that the fans have figured out the ending of this unfinished story. And that they're going to write fan fiction that basically tells the story for him. I really <laughs> do think that that's behind it. That's but at funny. the same time, <laughs> right? I mean, that's um, but at the same time, he has sort of... Dude. That's an argument yeah, that's for argument. him getting off his fat ass. Yeah, that's the argument. It's kind of it kind of makes the argument. It's like, dude, um, if you don't finish this, Ooh. your fans are gonna do it on their own. Also, uh, 1996, I win. Yes, 96, I got it. You just were louder. <laughs> yeah, 96, 98, <laughs> 2000. I have the, the volume control. And then and then there's Winds of Winter, forthcoming, forever. I I think we that, can at least. Yes, come you're to... absolutely right. Go ahead. Star Trek Sorry. as as no, you're fine. Um, so as Star Trek as an entity is cracking down. I don't know, know that that's necessarily a good PR move, but it's well within their rights. So Yes. I think, I think if, if anything, the compromise we could come to is that while, unfortunately, we see Axanar in the wrong here, 
I think Paramount has to should should emphasis on, on should should ought to go uh, uh, gracefully and just let this project slide. It isn't. It does not appear to be something you know a, so antithetical to the idea of Star Trek that it might be time to step in there. And while the guidelines can be helpful, some of them are a little silly, and you know maybe they'll be re revised at some point. But I think at this point, I think it's better for Star Trek. And every Paramount and the folks at Axonar, especially the folks at Axonar, if, if Paramount just backs off. So, so I've, I've actually got one last question for you, dude. Okay. So I at, was just about to put the mic down too. Yep. At what point do you th do you do you think Paramount should enforce their copyrights? I really, I like, really like don't. What, what's the li what's the line in the sand to you? Yeah, I, I see. The thing is, I don't know, um, because. I'm unsure of what Axonar's great sin is, right? That's that's the issue. It's just it's just the idea well, that. Well, I mean, Axon, Axonar aside, I mean, like where right. you know, you know, I mean, personally, you know, me personally, I mean, again, I, I like I said earlier, I haven't uh, become well read enough on this issue of, of copyright. I've I've kind of bounced off it tangentially, but I I would at least err on the side of you know what let them slide for a while and and see where it goes and and i'm not going to pretend like i could possibly know what the fans would produce right but i'm going to err on the side of it can't be all that bad rather than erring on the side of well i'm not saying that, i'm not saying the material is bad but i mean well i mean bad and just the the, the meta bad you know not that's what i meant like the bad for us because again it's the example i brought up earlier um all, all they would have to do is slap the word parody on it, and and they're they're almost scot free. Because just I mean again, there's tons of sci-fi porn out there that are using you know licensed properties. And South Park just recently won a big court case with the with the the what what in my butt guy, you know because it was a parody. Yeah, I mean, I don't think just slapping the word parody on there is gets you scot free. But that that's aside from the, but no, it's but a good I, start. I, I, I am curious. I'm curious, though. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to relax it, but I mean, obviously, there's a line somewhere, and, and I want to know where you think that line is. Oh, I, I'll be absolutely honest. I don't know where the line is right now. If I were to start over, I say let's go back to the original 14-year uh, copyright that was set down at the time of the Constitution. No, no, no. no I, I don't. I don't mean like time for like copyright laws. I mean, oh, like, okay. At what point should Paramount? take action I mean I really again I, I, I'm hard pressed to come up with one so I would err on the side of not doing it ever at this point correct yeah at this point I mean if you can conceivably come up with an, an idea where a fan film somehow gets released and distributed and makes 400 million dollars at a bo at the box office find that highly unlikely so yeah maybe Paramount could come in there and go look you know, we get a little slight. 20th of. Century Fox suddenly, Star Trek, blah, 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 a fan film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. But to me, on the one hand, I see that as, as kind of uh, is, is kind of an exciting prospect of, of the idea that um, 20th Century Fox takes their crack at Star Trek and then Paramount takes their crack at Star Trek because we've seen it with things like Hercules and Frankenstein, for instance. 
Uh, there were two Hercules Snow movies. White. So many Snow Whites all in the same year a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah although, so, although that's, know, that, I mean, again, that's stuff that's public domain, though. Right, so, was, I mean, but what, essentially, a, what I'm talking about is effectively public domain, right? That's essentially what we're talking about, is, is an effective public domain. And at this point, domain. Dude is talking about, like, a parallel universe in which this is a cool thing to do, not that he's advocating for it in our universe. Well, again, I, I've, as I've said before, I'm not 100% sure because I haven't, I'm not as well read on the topic as I'd like to be, but my, what I'm saying is my bias and my principles are just telling me, you know what, base level, let's just let things go and, you know, we'll cross the bridge of what the F is this when we come to it, rather than uh, a form of, um, we, we, we can't let that happen. That, that's my position. That's kind of wishy-washy, man. Well, I mean, I, I'm not. You're asking for a clear dividing line, and I'll, I'll admit openly, I don't have one because I don't know. I, I just don't. Um, th that that that's basically it. All right then. I think we've exhausted this topic, and my brain. <laughs> also, I have pizza downstairs. And I'm hungry. <gasps> don't my stomach just growled? <laughs> that's mean. Can you smell it? No, but I can imagine smelling it, and it's divine. I I feel it in my brain's nose. I think no. I think I think Tracy's last comment is going to be taken way out of context here and put on YouTube. I can smell it in my mind, and it smells divine. <laughs> oh, the editing I can do with that. All right, so dude, why don't you start us off? Oh, I would. Uh, okay, sure. Um, because I just popped into my head. It was like. You're asking me what the dividing line is. I want to know what your dividing line is. It's your turn. Whoa. We so, don't have time for that. No, I mean, I, it, it, at a minimum, I would say when it starts to make when it starts to make money. And and why? In this particular instance, you have big corporation, you know, little production company. But, you know, that's not most issues. So, you know, if, if someone takes my idea and starts making money off of it, that's money that I'm not making. I mean, I mean that's really, you know, that, that, that's, that's so, someone else is profiting from my effort, my hard work, my development of these, you know, characters and, and, and stories and whatnot. So that, that's, that's the point at which I would... And again, I, it, it is certainly up to the artist. So, I mean, you know, maybe if someone comes up with, hey, I never thought, you know, something that I never thought about doing with characters... Instead of suing them, maybe I say, "Hey, you want to come work for me? You want to come write for me?" Mm -hmm. Right? I think they're. I think they're. Honestly, I think that would be the best way to best way for Paramount to go about this. Instead of gunning for these people, bring them into the fold. Mm -hmm. You know, especially especially because you know Star Trek needs new blood in terms of writing and producing, and but yeah, I mean, I, I think again, again, we, and we 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 we've said this repeatedly monetization is not required for copyright infringement but that that's the point at which i would say that that re that needs to be the line the line in the sand especially protecting smaller entities individuals with copyrights and the opposite of that is there's nothing that would there would be nothing to stop you know paramount if i've got a really good idea that that you know i post a short story online which i've done before there's nothing that says paramount can't come over and just take my idea and make a, f a feature film out of it yep or even it, worse that you pitch it to paramount and then they just take your idea after not paying you for it 
Right. That's my so, biggest fear so, always. Right. So I mean, obviously, we, we you know we're looking we've we've been talking about it from big company beating up on little company, in terms of you know big company owns the 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 intellectual property, and the little company is the one that's infringing. But certainly, it it is it can go the other way. And quite honestly, it's far more abusive if the if the large company makes four you're talking four hundred million dollars off of it. I as the individual should be getting a cut of that. Mm -hmm. There was a case with um, the car manufacturers and the windshield wipers, but that was an invention. That was like a patent violation. I don't know if ideas uh, get covered by that, and I'm I'm still. Well, so I, I I'm using the word ideas kind of kind of loosely. I'm talking right, about like we're just talking, you know, intellectual. The the the, the very cool phrase intellectual property. I yeah, I'm I'm still unconvinced if that's the case with with art and ideas i don't i don't know yet i'm i'm not i'm not sold on the idea yet you know i mean i think i just think yeah again certainly you know it, it does protect the co the corporations but i think it can also protect you know the individual from the corporations it could it could very well all right so what what have i been into the last week yeah um, I have been desperately trying, now that I've got bookshelves and I've got them out of the boxes, I can see all the crap that I've bought at conventions over the last number of and years never touched. and not even come close to it. Like, not even come close. Like, I have the entire series of 100 Bullets, Northlanders, Akira, Loveless, Criminal, just to name a few. Right. I haven't finished any of those. Oh, Conan. Well, not the whole thing of Conan. There's, a, got there's actually a lot of Conan, especially from Dark Horse. Yeah, there is. I, I've i seen 18 volumes. I was going to say 16, but yeah, it's, I know it's up there. I believe, I and I have um, a bunch of them. I don't have all of them. And I, I just started, I finished uh, Conan Volume Zero the other day, which was an original story about him being born on a battlefield. And then I've got Volume 1, is an adaptation of the Frost Giant's daughter, which is a, a Howard, an original Howard. And I've been reading Akira, and I'm on volume four, and that that thing is so freaking cool. It is so good. Yeah, uh, it's just amazing. And it's because it was a serial, and it was it took like ten years for it to be written. It goes all over the place. Like you really, there is no central plot. It's oh, we've got to do something. And then someone dies, or there's an explosion, or you know, Akira nukes the center of Japan, and it's like, oh, guess what? The reset button just got hit. Everything's changed now. Yeah, and, and I, I really, really. That's like actually, that. I think, one of the cooler things about um, anime and manga is that it that it has those moments where, like, here's the here's kind of the the, the baseline plot, and then it just goes every which way. Oh, it's it's really amazing. It's where, just. Whereas American superhero comics are so much more episodic. Yeah. And it's just fearless. That's what's amazing is that the the, the comic is like fearless. Just stuff happens and you're like, there's no way they're going to let that happen. Oh, yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. How, how do we get out of this one? And it's like, oh, we don't. Just We just live. <laughs> and it's really, really something. We live. What, it's unfortunate. What else? I saw uh, Independence Day Resurgence the other night. And it was dumb, but I didn't. I didn't care. I I knew it was going to be bad, and I didn't care. I don't and know if I. I don't know if I'd call it bad. I would. I would call it dumb, though. It, here's the one thing I will say. I you might have noticed this. I was immensely impressed 
with the pace of that film. That that did not give you a minute to breathe. No, it, it was it, so it, fast. It, it, well, at least the beginning booked it. I think at the oh, end, yeah. at, the, at the end, it, it, it drug on a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, like, there were some silly things, like the alien queen chasing a bus full of children. I mean, right. <laughs> really, I feel like they put that in there on purpose because it was so cliched. And then there, was, there, was, there was a point oh, I, looked at, I looked at my watch and I was like, yeah, we're not at two hours yet. There's, there's more coming. Yeah, there was a, they packed a lot in there. And I was I was impressed. You know, it was, uh, I, I dug it. And, you know, there are parts where you go, huh? Like, how is it that the cold fusion bomb can blow this up? But the but this shield is still intact. But if they just shoot it with green lasers, the shield goes down. I need to stop thinking. Right. Explode. Yeah, explode. And what did I see after that? Um, surprisingly enjoyable film called The Free State of Jones. Uh, oh, I've heard about this. This yes. was not a this was not a bad this was not a bad film at all. Um, it's historically at, at least somewhat based in fact, correct? I don't. I have to look it up. I don't know the story of The Free State of Jones. It takes place actually it covers a lot of time yeah, prior to the Civil War, during the Civil War, and then immediately after, and parts of Reconstruction. And it kind of leapfrogs in time because it covers a lot of... of, of and then there's a secondary story going on that's taking place in, like, 1952. So they kind of bounce back and forth. Gotcha. Yep. And, but it was good. I mean, I know it got beat up by critics because, let's be honest, uh, pre, during, and post-Civil War period of America, very problematic. And I'm putting that in scare quotes. So yes. it, was, it, it bothered a lot of people. But let me tell you, it was worth it. It was. I was expecting some sort of really preachy, sanctimonious, you know, Civil War era movie. I didn't. I we got a good quality historical drama, at least to my mind. Excellent. And and lots of Star Realms. I got that deck building game Star Realms, and I got it on Steam. I've been playing it with the girl. I usually hate deck building games. I am. This is heroin right now. I am so addicted to this game. That's why I was a half hour late getting to this podcast because I was trying to bid win one of the campaigns. Nice. <laughs> that explains that. Tracy. Um, so I have been watching. What am I? I've I've been watching on the Netflix. Um, I've been watching Person of Interest. So I was recommended this show by someone who knows I like uh, procedurals. I don't like this show. No. No. I, I, I kind of do because I like Jim Caviezel, and it's been a really long time since I saw him in anything cool. But so one of my pet peeves in procedurals is, especially procedurals, is when they just say something such as the government is watching you. That's a huge pet peeve. Is it the FBI? Is it the NSA? Is it the CIA? Who? 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 Is it an entity that we don't know about yet? That's only for the purposes of the show. It, it annoys the crap out of me, and it's just sort of sloppy, shoddy smoking, writing. So I'm probably going to drop man. it. Um, the other thing is, when I was at AwesomeCon a couple weekends ago, <laughs> the smoking man. Yeah. Once she started talking about the government, oh, that is watching her, her, you. Her feed went out like right away. Yeah. Like it was like rah, 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 they're watching you. The government. Which one? Okay, we'll just. That, skip that whole section, and I'll just talk about this book then. No, because then um, my joke won't make any so sense. When, <laughs> no, because it, it means the government was watching you, and they know, and they're trying to block and you. They, so, 
<laughs> Great. That, that's exactly what I need to be on some lists. Um, I was planning to go to Europe sometime next year. Apparently not. Um, so this is a book that I picked up at AwesomeCon. It's called The Journals of Bob Drifter. And I have not gotten but about a chapter and a half, half in. Um, but this is essentially about the idea that there are a lot of Reapers in the world, not just one. And this is kind of the story of this one guy. So, Andrew, you'll remember the last time I went to AwesomeCon and picked up a book from a random dude sitting at a table. It turned out really well for me. And so I kind of took another chance and got this one. And it's signed very nicely. Good. It says, to Tracy, live. That's the point. So, there we go. That's great so that's, advice that's what I'm the getting. opposite of that is dying, and we're not ready for that. Not really. Especially, like, slowly. Like, if I'm going to go, I need to go, like, you know, right the fuck now. You don't want to go Cersei. So now. are we talking... No. I, that's exactly what I was just going to say. So on a scale of zero to wildfire under the sept, what are we talking about? Well, that was pretty quick. I'm talking more like what's-her-name getting, like, manhandled by Gregor. That... That, oh, or or Lord. or like zero to anyone ever read a history of violence the comic book? I, I have not. I know of it. I have not read it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Someone someone dies very 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 slowly in that. No, I was thinking like zero to uh, Ving Rhames at the end of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I'm gonna get medieval on your ass. Oh. <laughs> Pair of pliers and a blowtorch. Yeah, that, that kind of slow. No, I don't want to go like that. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have also been addicted to heroin like dude, apparently. <laughs> uh, I got Star Realms on my phone and my iPad, and I've been playing it incessantly. I also taught Becky how to play. Uh, she was, I think, less thrilled, but, you know. I, I've now basically ordered, like, all of all of the Star Realms crap. Like, all the expansions and everything, so... You know. Yeah, you even got Colony Wars. I don't even have Colony Wars. There's some like there's some amusing stuff in Colony Wars. Like I'm reading some of the cards. I'm like, oh, oh, that's gonna hurt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 my sphincter. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's been fun. Um, obviously, you know, we're getting ready for the wedding, which is coming up real quick here. So, there's been a lot of driving around in circles. I've been to the mall about four times in the last three days for different shit and. Yeah, it's just, it's all over the place. Uh, so that's kind of been occupying my time. I know it's weird because some guy called me the other day and said I was going to be best man. I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" Oh. Yeah, this is probably one, not one of my better decisions, but <laughs> I believe the I believe the phrase I used was battlefield promotion. Oh, it was exactly that. So uh, that 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 seems to be the most apt description of what's going on. But uh, yeah, no, I mean it'll be it'll be a good time. So. I think we're gonna. I think the three of us are gonna try and get one more podcast in uh, before I disappear for a couple of weeks. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's been, um, you know, catching up on some of that stuff, and I've been. I've also been picking at what comics I'm going to load onto my uh, my tablet for the honeymoon, so I can, you know, sit back and and just binge read. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that too. So uh, that's about it. All right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeageek.com. You can check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher. 
I have a new SoundCloud say- and Instagram and um, YouTube. You interrupted me and I lost my thought. How dare you? I know you can't you can't jump in on on the I'm on on the hawking of the, the social media. That's the most important part. I thought there was a pause. I think it was just my internet. I think it was your internet too. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadcast fucking. <laughs> uh, so once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And I'm being watched by the government. And you've been I'm- listening to Therefore I Geek. <laughs>